It's time for Lost Cast, the Lost Decade Games Podcast. Welcome to Lost Cast, episode 206. I'm Matt Hackett. I'm Jeff Blair. Man, I haven't talked to you since last year. Oh my God, it's been forever. <laughs> it sounds like longer than it is. Although we did miss last week's podcast. We did, yeah. We so had uh, stuff going on. You had stuff going on. I was in Mexico. Mexico. Um, Mexico. So let's see. I like going through the topics. I want to start that off right this year in 2017. Shiny brand new year. Let's not screw this year up, everybody. <laughs> We're going to talk about the, the January Game Jam going on right now, which you should join. Uh, I got some new Game Dev Treasure to discuss. Uh, it's a brand new podcast on Patreon called Matt Said It. What an egotistical name, Matt. Jeez. Uh, and then we have a really cool question from the forum about procedural procedural generation, proc gen, which we've been working on for years and are still kind of crap at. Hooray! <laughs> All that and more uh, <laughs> on Lostcast 206. Uh, first, though, I, I am returned from Mexico. Cancun is where we went. Oh, yeah. I was going to... I kind of assumed... I think Melissa asked me, she's like, where in Mexico? And I'm like, I don't know, probably Cancun. Just Mexico. It, it's, you know, it's not that big. Yeah. <laughs> Somewhere around there. <laughs> yeah. No. It was my first proper vacation in uh, years. No LDG bit. is a uh, demanding mistress. That's so. right. Um, so. If I sound awful and if I'm sluggish today, it's because I came back sick. Because, of course, of course, every time I travel, I always come back sick. So uh, I've got a cold. I probably sound horrible. And um, I'm tired, man. <laughs> I had the same thing when I went to uh, Florida over yeah. December holiday. I ha- came back sick because, you know, I never That's leave what you my do. house. So anytime <laughs> that I go anywhere, yeah, especially exactly. anywhere that involves a plane and or random people. Oh, in a yeah. Location, you're yeah. Just done. I knew I was in trouble. Um, yeah. I am kind of glad it hit me. I mean, I don't know. My stomach was, you know, always has problems, especially in Mexico. But then, like, I'm glad the cold didn't hit me until I was practically home, like on the plane ride home. I started getting sick, but at least it wasn't like, it didn't disturb the trip. Yeah. Um, I fed Kawadi, which you're not supposed to do. They look like, picture this. Breaking Mexican laws. I, w- <laughs> I was. <Man. laughs> I've become a bandito. <laughs> uh, I didn't get shot that, shot at that much. Picture a raccoon, okay, but mix it with an anteater. That's the best I got for you. That sounds adorable. For Kawadi. It is. It's super cute. Um, oh, no. I don't have my show notes file ready to go. I gotta... oh, no. <laughs> Look how unprepared you are. First uh, thing in the new year. And you're hey, I'm, like s- I'm s- <laughs> Dropping <laughs> I'm the ball s- left and right. <laughs> I'm sick. Throw me a boat here. Uh, I have a picture. Maybe I'll put it like in the show notes. I think I tweeted one or something. But it's really they're really cute. I didn't even know they existed. And they're a lot like raccoons in that they come out in droves. And they attack stuff that has food in it, like trash cans and whatnot. Nice. But they're not like raccoons where they only come out at night. They're, um, what's it called, biternal? They come out twice per day. It's really cool. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I saw the picture you posted of them on Twitter. Yeah. And they are very cool looking. I would they, uh, I want to pet them. You, you would feed them? Would you feed them? Oh, I would feed them. Yeah. I, would I was feed worried. I let them sit in my lap. Um, yeah, I was worried they were going to jump on me because, like, <laughs> it, what would happen to me is I'm wearing shorts too because it's hot, right? They, they would jump on me and scratch me. And then what do you got to do? You have to get a rabies shot at that point. You have to. You have to. So I was like, "Uh, that's probably, I should probably keep my distance. Uh, Also, I fed iguanas, which was super cool because I'd be feeding Kawadi and then this iguana, like a big iguana, like maybe two feet long with its tail, three feet maybe long, uh, would rush out of the forest. It was kind of shocking and scary. (laughs) Just rush out. 
I'm yeah. sure that the animals around those resorts are like so domesticated. Oh yeah, they're like people. It's cool. Uh, like, you would <laughs> give us the food. Yeah, you would love this. There was a big fat cat, like just insanely fat, because <laughs> it was near the the snack bar, right? Oh god. So everybody was just feeding it all the time, and nobody really cared. I guess they probably like cats to that kind of place because maybe they they eat the rats or whatever i don't know that cat looked really lazy and fat though yeah (laughs) love a big fat lazy cat he's like why would i chase rats when i can have this corn dog yeah that thing moves that thing has teeth (laughs) corn dog's got nothing uh i went snorkeling in a cave that was pretty cool lots of snorkeling expanded my horizons awesome i know i'm really scared of the ocean so every time i go snorkeling it feels like a little victory nice I'm so pleased. Yeah, good times. Uh, I wish I came back healthy because I'm really wanting to hit the ground running this year, but <clears throat> I'm instead hitting the ground limping and like napping. I just, I feel awful, dude. I'm sorry. Well, that's, you know, kind of par for the course this time of year. You're going to get sick. Yeah. I usually get sick at least once <laughs> during the holiday season, the cold yeah, season. So like, eh. Although maybe it's just because you're around more people and more people are traveling and blah 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 who knows yeah i think it's the plane i think you had it earlier yeah the plane is really just i hate planes they're just like (laughs) it's the worst trap of death and smells and no god oh like you're so tired and you want to sleep but the 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 planes are like designed to be uncomfortable like you just cannot there's no (laughs) position for me in which i can sleep it's like their engineers are trying to make it as (laughs) uncomfortable as possible they were yeah the same engineers who make like torture chairs Uh, I think I uh, after this last trip, when we flew six hours uh, across the country to come home and, and well, to get to Florida as well, uh, I think I've convinced myself that I'm going to purchase uh, at least like an upgraded, if not first class ticket anytime I fly anywhere over five hours, probably. Yeah, you got a threshold, right? Yeah. I don't, I don't know. I've, I've never actually flown first class. I don't know how much more expensive it is, but uh, sometimes I'm like, that would be worth it. A little more room. Actually, all I need is a little more inclination. I just want to be able to sleep. That's all. Yeah. A little shut eye. The future holds better plane flights for us, hopefully. I'm just not going to travel anymore until they invent uh, <laughs> teleporters. There we go. Let's just do that. Man, yeah. get with it, science. Uh, all right, January is happening right now, and January can be found at itch.io slash jam slash January. This is being quarterbacked by Chris, a.k.a. Vox, who is very active in our community. Uh, a lot of people know who he's uh, who he is. Uh, does really cool pixel art and is also a game designer and programmer. Making cool stuff. The Discord is blowing up. There's a lot of activity in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's good to see. Yeah. Uh, were you doing something for January? I have started on something for January. Ooh, do tell. I jammed up an engine because, you know. <laughs> That's what you do. <laughs> That's what I do. Well, you know, I just, I, I like to, I like to start an engine every, you know, couple of months and then discard it and then start another one later. For some reason, um, I just pictured you like sit on a motorcycle and you rev an engine and you're like, you don't actually take the motorcycle for a ride. You're like, that's good. <laughs> and I made some noise. I felt the roar of the engine. And I'm, I'm good now. Yeah. Good Basically, I had built an engine from scratch <laughs> and then yeah. I'm like, do you want to drive it? Like, no. No. I really just wanted to make it. It's pretty, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Runs great, I think. I think yeah. In theory, all of these parts are fantastic. <laughs> so is it, what is it? Is it an engine for you to use or is it just an engine for the sake of having an engine? Um, it's an engine for me to use. It's just kind of like, uh, you know, another attempt at just something really simple that nice. doesn't get bogged down in a whole bunch of complexity. And is it uh, for something for the jam or is the engine the thing that's for the jam? Um, I guess it depends how far along it gets. Hmm. I sort of wanted to make a game out of it that is going to be like, 
you know, and this is like the death knell of games, but, you know, <laughs> I have a very vague idea for it, but I want it to just be like a very simple sort of like top down uh, sandbox game. Mm. But like, you know, not like the craziest sandbox game ever, but just like the most simple sandbox mechanics. I just want like a little, basically like a small sandbox that I can just play around in and have, you know, entities that kind of do different things or something. Yeah. You just want like fertile grounds to plant stuff in, right? Yeah, I just want to fiddle, I think. So I'm not really even thinking of it as an actual game. It's more of just like a, you know, a simple playground. Right. Perhaps. I haven't actually caught up yet. What did they decide for January? Because there was a couple of different suggestions for themes, right? It was like, is it based on an LDG game? Is it just a free-for-all? What did they end up going with? I think it's just anything LDG related or Lost Cast related. Nice. That's going to be a wide open door there, right? Yeah. Because Lost Cast, I mean, you know, with the tangents, especially, like almost anything is a fair game. Yeah. I haven't really, I didn't really think about working the theme into my particular entry yet, but I should do that. No theme. That's your theme. <laughs> yes. Screw the theme. <laughs> Who needs them? My That's theme cool. It's a tangent that goes off in a random direction and has nothing yeah. to do with whatever. That's very Lost Cast ish right there. <clears throat> I'll put a tiger hat in the game and there you go. There you go. That's it. That's all you need. So that's going on for all of uh, of January. I'll put a link in the show notes here, so be sure to check that out. If you feel like making something cool, uh, we're giving away keys, and then I'm going to draw an avatar for the winner. So good times ahead. And I'm going to do nothing because, <laughs> yeah. Because, yeah. Um, next up, I want to give a shout-out to Sam and Moose. Uh, thanks for all the game keys. I returned to like an inbox full of, of free games i'm so happy i gotta di- i gotta go find time for these man i also had some uh some free games in my stocking yeah we you and i have to play some games together because a couple of them are um wasn't there one that was in there it was co-op multiplayer mm. we gotta Let's get see. on that yeah, yeah. Uh, also new patrons uh a couple welcome new patron martin uh martin's a big supporter on twitter and if memory is serving uh martin is the one whose kids were really looking forward to indie game sim and posted uh pics of his kids playing indie game sim so nice. cool yeah i love seeing that kind of thing uh also aaron thank you for joining us thanks for your generosity uh we also got isaac uh, who is a longtime listener and supporter and a really good artist so check out isaac's sweet drawings on twitter show notes i'm doing it i'm doing it um so yeah we missed last week's podcast Uh, i think it was just like you know we were talking just before we started recording about that one day we did like the three podcasts in a day yeah combined with a drive uh between san diego and la (laughs) just the ridiculousness and like these days there's just no time for it you know yeah i think that we were like you know okay just no podcast this Power, Yeah, it was just too much with the, the Mexico and everything else going on. Um, which is, you know, kind of par for the course for a normal last cast. But we do have this Patreon now. And so there was kind of this perfect storm of things happening because I've been kind of wanting to have a place to talk about some particular things. And then uh, also, like, you know, the, the patrons now are putting money down, putting hard money down for, uh, for these episodes. And so I didn't really want to have just like a gap there, right? So I did a little podcast just by my lonesome. It's called Matt Said It. And uh, for this, I typed up <laughs> I typed up four pages of content. I thought I had a decent amount of content. I talked through the whole thing in just shy of 15 minutes, I think it was. Wow, that's pretty good. Does that seem good? Because like, when I got to the end, I was like, oh, crap, is that just 15? Because I thought maybe I'd have at least like a half hour. I don't know. If it's hard to talk like 
uh, in a monologue for very long at all, I think. It is. You know, I realized what makes Lost Cast probably longer in general is just because, like, I don't know what you're going to say. You don't know what I'm going to say exactly, right? Like, the shenanigans are created based on each other as the random elements, you know? Because sometimes I'll say something that you might not have expected and they'll spur a memory and you're like, oh, that reminds me of XYZ. And you go, that's where the tangents come from, you know? That doesn't exist when you're talking to yourself. Right. <laughs> I almost like I need to like be pulling up random Google images to like see the, oh, hey, look, Big Bird, that reminds me of my childhood. Tangent. Like need something like that to make the podcast longer. Yeah. That's interesting the way that the human brain is wired, right? Where kind of has like this dynamic property that it gets engaged by other people. Yeah. Uh, but I think that like, you know, maybe you want a more concise podcast. In that case, Matt said it might be up your alley. You know, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe you only want 15 minutes of Matt. You're like, I can't take an hour. <laughs> an hour? My God, no. I always pause at 15 minutes. Uh, so, yeah, I think basically what that was about was like, um, there's a couple of like the, the reality of indie game stuff we've been talking about recently. And not all of it is really that much fun to talk about. So I think that moving forward, I want Lost Cast to be like fun stuff, you know? Talk so about... Lost Cast will be like your pop band. <laughs> and then Matt said it'll be like the emo. Yes. Yeah, that'll be the poetic sad yeah, place. Uh, yeah, when you're drinking alone on a Friday night, you put on Matt Sedich. <laughs> Welcome, everyone. <laughs> Matt, Matt's, Matt's sad. Right. Now, um, yeah, I'm just talking about like some personal stuff and a little bit about what's going on with me. And uh, yeah, it's just for patrons. So if you want to hear it, you got to sign up. You got to back us. Um, on that note, I have some interesting uh, more stuff about Lost Cast. Uh, what was it? I got my laptop back recently. It broke like, I think it was over a year like, ago. I was going to say, that's ago. been a while. Yeah, it was weird because um, I'm so now comfortable and situated on the old, <laughs> new old laptop. Yeah. It's like worse. It was. It's my wife's, right? Yeah. And it doesn't have all my stuff. So I got this new laptop. Not, not only is everything like faster and way more awesome, but I have all my old files. Stuff like logcast i love that yeah love that name logcast Wait, so logcast have that anywhere else there wasn't no GitLab or something no well it was on gitlab but i think you created it because i don't know what those files were <laughs> or maybe I, I don't know what the story was but like what i had and what that was was very different it was one of those things that i wasn't very diligent about um you know pub, like pushing because it was just supposed to be this little scratch pad on, on my computer right plus it's it's hard to use with git because the data is crazy big Right, like we're talking about gigs of access logs, so yeah, yeah it's like a difficult thing to manage when it comes to version control. Well, uh, you just but I don't check in the data. You can still have all the code, right? Yes, for sure. Yeah, uh, but then like the code is useless with that. I don't know. It's a hard thing. Yeah. Um, we can talk about that like offline or something. Get your advice on that because yeah. uh, I do want to put it up. Someone was asking about it one time. <laughs> nah, I'm good. Uh, but basically what it does is it parses the S3 access logs and it looks for a valid request for LostCast. And it's a pretty reliable uh, way of looking at the data. And the good news is, because it's kind of interesting because it's been like a year and a half or so and we are growing. It's like another 30% or so. Yeah. There's something like 6,000 listeners now. Pretty cool. That's awesome. Yeah. And when you look at the conversion percent, it looks like it's something like 0. 7% of patrons. And I think we can do better than that. It gives it like illuminates areas that you can improve upon, you know? Yeah. I look at other numbers and like, um, what is a pretty good, like a decent conversion rate would be like three to 5% ish. 
So like if you look at 6,000 listeners, we could get more patrons. So sign up, everybody. <laughs> we should have better numbers. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully the Matt said it thing will be another reason. Because like so far, it's like, you know, if you want to back um, the Patreon, it's really just out of the goodness of your heart, right? But now yeah. you get some actual real content. You'll get your gaps filled in when we uh, when we miss episodes. So, so are you only going to do Matt said it when I'm unavailable or something? So here's what I've done. And uh, I, I always, this kind of stuff always just like gives me, like makes me cringe, but like you're supposed to do this, right? There's now a goal on the Patreon. When it reaches 250 a month, I'm going to start doing one Matt Sedit per month. And that sounds kind of fun to me because it was uh, this nice bite-sized little experiment, you know? Like it took a while to write out what I, like the outline of what I wanted to talk about. When it, but when it came to just sitting down and doing it, it was so easy, you know? Yeah. There weren't any like technical problems or, or, you know, internet errors or anything. It was just like, blah, 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 done. And there's like almost no editing or anything because it's just like brain dump, you know? Right, there's no other feeds to splice in and yeah nothing to sync up it was kind of cathartic too because it's like i can be a little more honest and i think i was a little more like raw and maybe might say things i might not normally because it's behind like a bicycle lock right like you know i the data is there i'm sure you can get it even if you're not a patron somehow but like because it's only for people who are like the audience is very tiny you know what i mean so it's, it's it being such a personal intimate thing i don't know yeah. I feel like I might have opened up a little more or something. That's probably true. Yeah. But that's my goal is like, so I mean, I think that's an attain- obtainable goal, right? Because we're at like $222 per month right now. And I figure, yeah, another 20, 30 bucks, maybe like if we can get a couple more patrons to sign up, then I'll start doing one once a month and we'll have more podcast material. So that's my goal. That's we'll awesome. We'll see. Yeah. I'd love to hear more. I actually listened to Matt said it. Oh, you did. did. So lay it on me. How was it? I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> who are you who said it someone said something so, who is this guy no um, was it was it embarrassing no i mean you know it's just one of those things where like i was like nodding a lot you know because we've been talking about a lot of those kind of indie dev struggles yeah off and on in, in various formats so like you know that was that was interesting that's good i like the nodding a lot that's always good it's better than you know, i was listening to the whole thing the whole time shaking my head no no matt no <laughs> this is wrong 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 <laughs> no. start over I gotta start writing an email. No, 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 no. Okay, that's Dear good. Matt. <laughs> These are the reasons you're wrong. Well, that's good. Uh, yeah, hopefully I uh, get to make more of those because it was a pretty good time. So let's see. I think those are topics. I think we can jump into our discussion now. Yeah, we can. All right, cool. So this is, I guess this might be kind of an old question at this point. <laughs> Certainly from last year. Hey, uh, but from Sarek on the forum. Have you guys tracked whether <clears throat> ProcGen actually saves you time, at least anecdotally? For example, how long does it take you to design a handcrafted level versus writing all the ProcGen algorithms? Uh, what are the pros and cons of ProcGen for you guys in terms of workflow and efficiency, and does it really save the time it's supposed to save? Pretty interesting question. Yeah, um, definitely interesting because it's something that we've been trying to work on in most of our games, right? I think that almost yeah. all the games that we worked on had except for onslaught arena maybe yeah. had procedural generation of some kind yeah um i think that uh, onslaught defense even right was like had randomized enemies coming from the top like it wasn't Let's... just like a static set of waves it was kind of like spawn this many things ish based on some difficulty setting or something correct yeah what about lava blade <clears throat> the lava monster blade, the monst- generation yeah, the encounters were procedurally generated. So, like, the maps were static, 
but where the enemies appeared on the map and what the contents of those battles were like the well i guess we call it the arena right right if there were rocks here or rocks there or whatever um or not uh, and then which kinds of monsters like i think we had like some monster groups right where it was like okay two you know warrior goblins and a ranged goblin or something yeah um so that was like you know very light procedural generation but still some uh, and then obviously awl1 and awl2 had a lot of procedural generation i guess indie game sim doesn't have any well i don't know i guess you might say that the ranking system is sort of procedural generation i guess it doesn't actually have any no of actual content creation because the the ranking algorithms those are not random Although, well, there is a random element to like what a use like a because it simulates traffic to your game. But there's like heuristics, right? There are heuristics, yeah. And you know, like you might get a really bad rating on your game just because um, of the randomness, right? Yeah. But yeah, the, I don't think there's actually any content generated. Like the levels that I added to the game are all designed by hand and stuff. Yeah, but I mean, it's kind of a weird game, right? Like, what's the content of indie game sim anyway? It is a weird game. Yeah, the content is very hard to describe. Because it's like, it's the entities. The entities like, and the games. And then that's it, really it yeah. <laughs> for the content I have to make. The rest is like, you have fun with that. <laughs> you have fun with that. You um, enjoy. I think that in general, like, it's, it's more work to do procedural generation, honestly. Yeah. There's a, a thought I had, which is like, this kind of assumes that the benefit of ProcGen is, is to save you time, which might be maybe why we initially wanted to do it, right? And I do think there's an element there. Like, for example, a wizard's lizard feels like it has way more content than just three primary dungeons, right? And if those dungeons were handcrafted, just static, it wouldn't feel like nearly enough content. And you would need to branch that out. You need to have probably twice as many dungeons, I would think, something like that, right? Definitely more to stretch out that content. So, like, in that context, it could be seen as maybe the proc gen could save us time because we don't have time to make six dungeons. We only have time to make three, but if we make them completely generated, then that, you know, stretches out the work longer. Yeah. But I think the reality is that no, the proc gen is such a beast that it, it probably, like if you want to be saving time, then it might not be the, the right approach. Yeah. I think that it is a obviously a very powerful tool and there's, you know, kind of like this, it scales better, right? Yeah which is pretty much always going to be true. Um, and I think that one thing that's kind of been apparent to me is that I feel like we've never really gotten to a place where the we've gotten to a scale in terms of content where the procedural generation started to kind of pay for itself. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yep. It's, it's really tough though, right? Because it's like you can't really imagine AWO1 as three dungeons with static layouts, right? Right. Or maybe you can. I mean, I don't know. Uh, it's you know it would have been a different game that's for sure, and maybe it would yeah. have been uh, a slightly better game. You know, I mean, like, <laughs> I'm sort of you know I I think I like the idea of procedural generation a lot, but you know I think that it's definitely something that I would look at again with a more critical eye in terms of like how does this reinforce the design of the game? You know, it's not just a like, hey, I should make my content procedural or not. Yeah. You know, I think it's more like what kind of game do I want to design and, and does ProcGen really kind of fit that kind of overall narrative that I want to have? Right. I think the real benefit of the ProcGen is the <clears throat> the replayability, right? So like with something like Spelunky, 
the reason you want procedural generation in there is so that you can play the game a hundred times and still want to play it as opposed to if you know all the spelunky levels were just handmade you i mean how many times are you gonna play that game really you know yeah five or six you, you get through it you would learn the mines you would be able to breeze through the mines literally with your eyes closed probably you know because it would be so predictable and the, it would be like a be... speed run right you could just you know where yeah. to jump at all the right points or whatever yeah exactly um, so I think that that kind of a thing was like supported in that design of that game. You know, it knew what it was. It knew the the reason it was using procedural generation and like, you know, the itemization and all that stuff um, suits the replayability really well. And like when you look at a design like a Wizard Lizard, you, like, you know, it doesn't have certain things it needs. Like the bosses are all the same, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Where like if everything was supporting the replayability, then you would have, you know, oh yeah, the bosses are different, the levels different, like everything's different. It's all fresh and new, it's all clean. There's more items and more variety of you right. know, monsters and things like that. Yeah. I think the the problem with procedural generation is it puts a lot of burden on the rest of your content too. Yeah. You know, like you have to not only do you have to generate, you know, the levels and the layouts and stuff, but you also have to make sure that the other pieces of your content you know kind of harmonize with that the monsters like what kinds of rooms can you put monsters in you know just right. for like an awl example yeah how often is there treasure where are power-ups you know like it's an all-consuming system that has to make a lot of decisions about the design of your game right where it's like uh with static generation you could say i want to put a heart container right here you know yeah like uh i like in shovel knight for example right like here's a checkpoint the checkpoint is here because the levels are static and the checkpoint's always here. You know, whereas in a random game, that stuff becomes more difficult too. Right. I kind of get the feeling <clears throat> sometimes with ProcGen that a lot of people who are making games come from more of a programmer background than a designer background. And what they like about ProcGen is it's like you get to use your normal tools, right? Because when it comes to a design, say like, I want you to make a room in say like a Zelda type game and I want it to be a really good design. That's a harsh thing, you know? There's there's nowhere for you to hide. And people can start to walk through your room and experience your room. And if your room doesn't have great design, they can start to poke holes in it. Like you, your design is there. It's bare, right? And when you look at the proc gen stuff, especially if you come at it from a programming perspective, you can kind of tell stuff like heuristically where to be and stuff but you'd explicitly say i want that exactly right there right so when people come in and they think your design's not perfect it gives you a place to hide doesn't it you can say like oh yeah you know maybe that shouldn't be right there but like at the algorithms like the, the next room you get will be generated better or something you know yeah it's like i think uh, i didn't make this room the computer did yeah you can almost hide behind uh, behind the algorithms and and also the vastness of the content instead of it being like here's this one room you made this is the only room like this that you made and this room sucks right you can you can instead be like no 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 there's there's infinite rooms like that that's just one of the bad ones I the think, next dozen rooms you get might be great i think it's also a way to sort of like dodge uh thinking about some actual mechanics sometimes yeah right you're just like i'm gonna make a bunch of levels and like you kind of start to generate content with this procedural generator before you even know, you know, what it is that you're making, right? Right. It's like you've decided to uh, open a restaurant and you have a machine that builds all these things and you start building them all before you even know, you know, 
what it is that you're building building or who you're going to sell it to yeah <laughs> i think that's been the danger for us a lot is that the procedural generation kind of like one it's a huge time sink um and it sort of like tends to like not necessarily limit but like drive the direction of the mechanics in some ways yeah um or, or at least like limit the your ability to do things right like there's a lot of times uh because of like sort of the simplistic generation that we have in wizard's lizard like we can't do interesting things like oh here's a room where you come in from one side and it's like a little island right but you can't right. get to the doors on the other side via water or pits or whatever but you can come in from a different location like that kind of stuff is a lot more difficult to do like you have to really have good algorithms for figuring out where to place rooms and how they connect to each other and all that kinds of stuff that's true it has limited some of the stuff we wanted to do <clears throat> excuse me uh in the past with design right where we'd be like oh this is a really cool idea for a room but you know it in, it requires that you come in from the sides like the whole design of the room or whatever and like there's a lot of really cool designs in the zelda game especially the the 2d classic ones where it's this kind of situation where like you come in this room from the left <clears throat> and there might be like up down left right exits but you can only get to those exits um because there's a circle thing in the middle you like enter it and it'll rotate 90 degrees, right? And so it starts to matter from which side you come into the room. Stuff like that is um, nearly impossible to put into a procedural generator, right? Or like, it's definitely much more difficult for sure. Yeah, I, I wouldn't say impossible. It's just, it's a lot more work. I mean, I've seen uh, this other game, Lena's Inception, which has a pretty complicated like key lock and a very abstract key and lock system, right? Keys being anything from an actual key to like a stepladder or a raft or something. Yeah. And the lock being water or whatever. Um, <laughs> but it sounds like that guy uh, has got some of that really advanced stuff going on. So I think it's definitely possible, right? But like it, you know, I haven't actually played this game. It looks kind of cool, but you know, what I'm hoping is, is that's really like just kind of the focus of the game, right? Um, yeah. Is like these key and lock type traversal, puzzles right um you know and i think that's one thing that like our procedural generation you know never really had was it wasn't reinforcing like something core right right and um that's the hard part like and i think that you know if you look at say binding of isaac right like their map generation might not be you know the same sophistication as like lena's inception but that game relies more heavily on like the item attack combinations and stuff right and I think it, you know, spends a little less time on the actual layout. Yeah. You know, I think with Spelunky, basically, like, its special sauce was the proc gen, right? <clears throat> because if you look at that game, like, what else does it really bring to the table that hadn't been brought to the table before? You know, like, the jumping and the whipping, like, there's nothing really new there. It, it very much emulated Mario games and Castlevania games with the itemization and stuff like that. The combo items was very roguelike. You know, that, that's something that um, Initial Rogue game had was like uh, overlapping um, item, like inventory stuff, right? And then also like the uh, shenanigans, as we call it, where everything's on the same collision pool. You know, like a there's no reason a monster can't pick up a weapon that you can use, stuff like that. Yeah. So it was really just combining elements. And I think that uh, what you were saying earlier <clears throat> uh, rang true to me, which was that like when you're using proc gen, it makes you feel like you can kind of hide behind that and not do anything interesting mechanically, right? Because when you're making a game, there needs to be something cool there. And a lot of times, like the unique, you know, and a lot of times that might be a new mechanic. Like, um, 
the possession mechanic, for example. Oh, so innovative, right? Uh, in Soul Thief. But like, you need something like that, regardless of how the content is generated. I feel like these days you need some kind of special sauce that's not just, oh, you know, the rooms are randomly generated because that's no longer enough. Like that, that was enough back in the era of Spelunky and like when Binding of Isaac first came out, you know? And then these days, I think a lot of indies, they want to do proc gen because it's comfortable for them and they can hide behind the design and it's programmer centric and the stuff we mentioned earlier, right? But it makes you feel like if I'm doing proc gen, maybe I don't have to have that anything that interesting mechanically, you know, like a, like a new mechanic. And that can be a problem because yeah. I think you do need it. I think that, uh, you know, we haven't done a very good job of pairing, you know, like the kind of uh, soul takeover mechanic is interesting on its own, but it doesn't necessarily pair that well with randomly generated levels, right? Yeah. Because, uh, like, what's the overlap there? Like, okay, sometimes these enemies are available to you and sometimes they're not, like, depending on the room, but, you know, when you have several rooms in the dungeon, you're going to find that thing eventually, right? Like, it doesn't really add a whole lot of depth. Like, they don't harmonize well, those two things. Yeah, not particularly. They definitely not don't like, yeah, they don't cause problems for each other necessarily, but they don't necessarily harmonize that well. They're kind of like orthogonal, right? Like they're not, You're right? yeah, they don't butt heads, but they're not getting along. Yeah, I think great. that something like the, the terrain destruction in Spelunky, like you play the game, there's a button for bombs, you start with bombs, and there's also randomly generated terrain. So the bomb mechanic and the terrain being randomly generated, those two harmonize great. Because you might think to yourself, oh, I didn't know there was going to be a wall over here. Hey, I've got bombs. I can blow a hole in the wall. You know, like that, those go together well versus what you were saying earlier, right? Like, oh, hey, a room full of monsters. Guess what? I can possess them. I could still possess them even if this was a handmade level right. or room, right? And I think that, you know, Spelunky can also get away with, you know, generating sort of like messed up, you know, against the player kind of situations because you have these world terraforming tools at your disposal right world transforming i guess yeah. uh, that's that's been something i've uh lamented for a while is uh the lack of bombs in um in soul thief because it's very zelda the game has always been very zelda inspired yeah but it's also very you know the other games have really owned that like uh spelunky and isaac both have bombs as a core mechanic and they they use them very well. So it seems like, you know, we've we've kind of always wanted to to try to yin when someone else yangs, even if we're in the same stinking playing field as them. <laughs> we're going to do the same thing you're doing, but try to do it differently. Yeah. How's, how's that going? So I wonder if, like, a better approach would be for us to make a game, you know, without procedural generation at first, just hand-curated levels, and then, you know, add procedural generation in if it made sense. Yes. You know? I like, think that's the way to go. Not, not not finish the game obviously with uh with curated content, but prototype it with curated content. Yeah. You know, like here's how I want the level ultimately to look. Like, is this any fun? Uh yes or no. And then if that's not true, right? If if it's not fun at all, then there's no way that the computer's gonna make that any better. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like would more of this make it more fun? <laughs> this not fun experience. Would you like a thousand more rooms of not fun? <laughs> no? Oh, all right. Yeah. It's like, oh, that food's not tasty, huh? Would you like a whole bucket of it? Bucket of it? Would that make it better? Yeah. Quantity over quality. Yeah, that's that's not a good answer, right? Um, and I've you know I've enjoyed playing a lot of kind of curated games. You know, I think that 
if I if I think about the games that I've actually finished, you know, uh, recently they're mostly all curated games. Mm. You know, it's probably true for me too. I bet. Uh, Only Miami comes to mind for some reason. I think just because it was like one of those games where it's like, man, they made 30-something levels by hand, and each one of them has the kind of design that feels very tightly designed and, you know, a lot of care put into where every door and every monster was, you know? Yeah. I think about that kind of thing a lot recently because really the, like, you know, the mechanics are there, they're very solid, um, and they're very tight, but really, like, the meat potatoes of that game is the individual levels and their design i think that's you know been one of the biggest problems with something like uh a wizard's lizard right is that zelda at its core the levels are like sort of meant to be puzzles in a way right yeah and the procedural generator that we have doesn't really generate that it mostly just says start at a go to b and put in some crap in the middle <laughs> right <laughs> yeah um that's great so again like it's just it's not reinforcing that like core fun gameplay of you know trying to figure out you know we have a little bit of that like keys and locks and stuff but it doesn't you know never feels as epic as like an actual zelda dungeon right where it's like right you know you always see this big treasure chest that's locked in like kind of a middle room and it's all very well um you know called out by the game yeah and, and by the level design Man, those classic Zelda games, they, they very much, you play through them, and they're so simple at their core, you feel like, oh, this must be easy to do, this must be easy to make, you know? But really, the design is is simple, elegant, brilliant, you know? And it's it looks like not much what they're doing. You know, you look at your average Zelda dungeon, and you're like, oh, I, I get it, I know what they're doing here. But but really, there's a lot of design there that's that's very intentional and very hard to replicate in your own original way, you know? It really reveals that these designers knew what they were doing. They were very, very good. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard to follow that. It really is. Yeah, it is. And just you know, really reinforces that you know, like a whole team of people working on a game. You know, a couple of guys or even one guy is going to have a really hard time. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Especially when you're talking about writing a complicated thing like a procedural generator of some kind, right? Yeah. Um, it's just way less work to just say load this map file and i'm going to place things here here and here yeah you know like almost every programmer could implement something where the level data is stored as you know little ascii arrays right you yeah. don't even need like a really like a, an actual map editor even so that's kind of what i was doing recently with um with soul thief i was going back in there and there were a couple of different ways to generate rooms not the actual layout of the dungeon, but the the content of the individual rooms, and so I was kind of uh, trimming that down, culling that. Um, now there's down to just two ways to generate rooms. Now there's the you'll remember this like the code centric way, right? Mm -hmm. And this way is pretty important because um, this code can be sent a room of any size, and it can do anything with it, like literally, right? It could be a giant rectangle. It could be this tiny little room. It doesn't really matter. The code is agile enough to where it can be like, look, I'm going to fill some space here. And I don't care what size it is. I'm smart enough to adapt, right? Whereas um, the other way it does it is basically, like you're saying, like the ASCII maps, right? Where it's like, here's basically just a matrix of, you know, characters. And an ampersand represents Raga, and an at represent, represents a monster or whatever. X is for wall and yada yada. 
and those are inflexible, right? So like, you know, if I, if my, if this room was designed just 20 by 20 and then the map wants a room that's 18 by 18 or something, it's just going to break. And so those two are kind of going in tandem right now, but uh, boy, do I want it to just be that one way, you know, where it's like, look, all rooms are this. And the way that I'm setting it up is where it's more like, you know, here's a hazard and here's a monster. Right. And then, so that way it would be like, even if it's in, um, you could use the same room in the library, the kitchen, the courtyard, the lab, whatever. And it would feel at least a little different because the monsters and hazards in each of those dungeons are different. So not only would it look different with the environment, but it would also be different content at the least, you know, but everything else about the design would be, bam, it's just, it's, you know, each individual entity placed by hand. Right. Something else to consider is performance implications, you know, like when you have that really static map data uh, where it's just like, you know, uh, you know, put a monster at seven, seven or whatever, right. Coordinate seven, seven. That's so much faster to populate than something that, you know, like I've written before where, you know, it takes the size of the room and then it decides how many monsters it wants to put in there. And then it keeps this heuristic map in memory of like where all the things are placed, right? So basically every time it places something on the map, it then adds points to places on the grid that tell them that they are like more or less uh, attractive as placement targets now. Right. And so that's how you get enemies kind of like not clumping as much. Yeah, is by using these kind of heuristics to say where you haven't haven't put things, um, but I mean that that's a lot of array traversal, right? It's like yeah. so much nested array looping <laughs> to generate these these small rooms that you know I don't even know if it's worth it. And something that we talked about before, right, is that like uh, even if we wanted to go the procedural generation route, you sometimes fall into these traps of you know randomizing things that don't need to be randomized or scaled, right? Like uh, the room size. Um, I, I like that we support various room sizes, but I don't think, you know, the procedural generator should have been written with the assumption that you would always want to be generating the same kind of a room, but in a different size. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I, I don't know if that came across well, but it's like the idea of like, okay, you have a layout and that layout puts, you know, sort of a plus sign in the middle of a room, right? But instead of that being a static layout, it's an algorithm that says, let me look at the width and the height of the room and draw a plus sign in tiles, essentially. Yeah. Um, which is way more complicated than it needs to be and like doesn't necessarily have much benefit to the game. Yeah, we were talking about that with AWL1 and we were looking at it and we were like, you know, this plus room, that design kind of works best at this size. And if it's a little bigger or a little smaller, eh, like it's okay, but it doesn't work as well as this size, right? Yeah. And the thing about that algorithm, as as you were saying, it is a much harder thing to write code that will make that a flexible room size versus just look here's a room with a plus in it. I drew it by hand with ASCII characters and it was easy, right? Right. And the thing is, you would really only want to write that code to support that if you were going to have like, look, man, I need a hundred rooms. And the size can range dramatically. Like, I need that code. It needs to be more complicated to make so that it can support all these sizes. That's not true in the game that we made. You know, there was really only about three different sizes of that room that felt like, okay, that's a pretty good size. And then once you pass just that very tight threshold, a little bit too big, and you're like, this room's stupid big. It's just like all empty space. It's a dumb room. And if it gets too small, you're like, this plus is just taking up the whole damn room, and it's stuffed with monsters. It's way too dense. It's too dumb. It's too small. 
You know, there's this very narrow range for what makes sense for that room. And at that point, is it really worth having all this code to support three different sizes? Or could you have just been like, bam, here's three different plus size rooms, like in ASCII that took like five minutes. Right. You know, yeah. and there's, there's no bugs. <laughs> and I wrote a whole bunch of code that, you know, looks at the density of a room too, right? The first thing it does is, you know, because we had these rooms where it was like, technically it's like a, let's say a 20 by 20 room, but one might have a whole bunch of pits in it, right? And yeah. so if you put the same number of monsters in that room, it's going to be really dense and annoying. Right. Uh, so you also have to write code that, you know, scales the monsters based on the available space in the room. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's a terrible decision making. <laughs> <laughs> I like what you're talking about earlier where it's like you prototype the game. Even if you're thinking about proc gen, you're like, that might even be the reason you're making games, you know, because I, I know proc gen is, is awesome. It's cool. And it's gotten a lot of people into making games. It's a cool thing, man. But like, that doesn't mean that you have to start with it, you know, or like you could you can work on it in tandem, right? You could have this procedural generator, but when it comes to actually piecing your game together, maybe you're doing everything by hand for the first pass, right? And so as you're prototyping, you've got all this, um, you know, hand curated content and you can put monsters exactly where you want them. You can put rooms exactly where you want them and you get all the pieces to fit together and you should, you should probably, it's good for practice and it's good for you to have like a representation of what it is that you want to be procedurally generating right because you'd be like bam here's dungeon one i made it by hand it's got a pretty good design it actually has some intent you know i want you to go through here there's an optional path here's a critical path here's a key and a door a locked door right like this could be your pristine example of like here would be the procedural generator doing a good job versus eh, the procedural generator made kind of a crappy dungeon which is gonna happen right <laughs> instead you could be like this is this is it this is what i want the procedural generator to do but to take all these pieces and just kind of remix them around and you know from there that might be a good jumping off point because you could be like look i'm just going to rotate this dungeon 90 degrees and if you're playing a zelda game the whole entire dungeon is going to be totally playable right because there's no concept of gravity you're not going to make anything impossible you know and the dungeon probably would feel um pretty different at that point something i was thinking about um for soul thief at some point was to kind of have like two layers of curated procedural generation, if that makes sense. Mm. Actually, not really procedural generation, but anyways, you would have like the rooms, right? You would just create rooms in isolation. Like here's, uh, you know, the plus room. Here's the triangle room. Here's the whatever room, right? Yeah. Um, so you have all these room types and they have static placements of stuff or, or maybe like something like Spelunky, right? Where you have like a little question mark that you could put down and it's like, that can be a treasure or not, right? Uh, or like this thing can be a monster or a trap. You know, you can have some kind yeah. of light randomization there, which I think helps keeps things a little more interesting. But uh, then I was thinking, instead of doing like procedural dungeon tunneling for the layout, what if you just kept the levels smaller and had them be, um, you know, kind of static, like four or five room little wings, right? And you could have one that's like you start in the center and it goes to the four, you know, the four orthogonal directions. And you have one that's more like a snake and you have one that's like a straight line or whatever, right? You have all these, you almost treat your layout templates like you treat your map templates, right? Where there's just a collection of static ones. Hmm. And so then when you go to say like, okay, I want to have like, you know, cemetery one, two, three, four, five, right? You randomly pick five out of your, you know, maybe 50 layouts, right? And then you populate that with random or semi-random rooms as well. Yeah. 
<clears throat> I'm okay with with like the uh, the various degrees of procedural generation. You know, like it doesn't have to be. What was that? Was it No Man's Sky that was like every pixel, right? Yeah. Every atom is procedurally like it, it doesn't have to be like that. Um, as we've seen with you know, you love um, Descent, yeah. right? Board game well, and like you, you're. Go ahead. <laughs> I, I want to interject about No Man's Sky real quick because yeah, yeah. while that game has made a lot of money, I think that it's gotten a lot of valid criticism. Uh, you know, because I think that whether they intended to or not, right? I'm not trying to say anything bad against the developers, right? But it definitely seems like the public perception was that it wasn't quite as all it was cracked up to be in terms of procedural generation. Because like, oversold in that department. It's hard. <laughs> it's yeah. ridiculously hard yeah. to get that kind of diversity and harmonization of all those procedural generation pieces. Yeah, it is. Ridiculously hard. It's like hard enough to make them by hand, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then when it comes to making everything um, random enough, because that's, that's part of it, right? Is it's easy to change like, oh, hey, look, the starting point is, you know, five feet that way. Is that random enough though? Like, and what pe- I think that was what people really wanted is it, it didn't feel like as different as they were expecting. Right. That's a hard target to hit. Yes, it is. Um, but with something like Descent, um, it's not so much randomly generated as it is like, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, it's been a while, but like created by the, the DM as you go, right? But it's still like you're going to end up like one dungeon uh, you play in one game versus the dungeon you play in the next game are going to be drastically different, right? Um, but it's still like all the same game pieces you're using. It can be. I mean, uh, Descent, it's, it's kind of like, Descent's kind of like Legos, right? It has right. a bunch of pieces that you can put together, and but it comes with a bunch of static encounters, where it's yeah. like if you're gonna play the two-headed giant encounter, you know, set up the map this way and put these things in the room in these specific places. And so, you know, if you ever play that specific scenario again, it's always gonna be the same. Um, yeah. The only thing that can change is what the players do and what the the DM does, right? So essentially, the players and the AI. You know, if you were playing it in a single-player game. Yeah. Um, which can be interesting, right? Like you can have the same exact room, you know, like there's, I think there's, you know, something in Mega Man, right? Where like the enemies kind of like, they almost feel like they're on this very predictable pattern in a lot of ways. Yeah. Just with the timing and stuff, you know, you can have enemies like uh, Soul Thief and AWL do that even in the static environment don't make deterministic decisions, right? Right. Like they may react to what the player's doing. They may react to something else in the environment. They may just have a randomized behavior. Like I'm going to pick a random direction and go that way. Yeah. Um, I think that's also something that when I look back on with regards to procedural generation, you know, it's not just the layout and it's not just the you know items or whatever but we also tried to do procedural generation and enemy behaviors to a certain degree right it's like you start wielding that random hammer and you just everything looks like a nail (laughs) right and so you just start randomizing all this stuff that like you really don't have any business randomizing right like I, i you know maybe it's just because i feel like we got in over our heads with complications on some of these projects but i would almost like to go back to a scenario where like you just have these really simple enemies where you know this thing just moves up and down right yeah and that's it <laughs> right and you, and you put it here and it goes up and down between three tiles and you put it over here and it goes up and down between five tiles like that's the extent and, and it's very predictable um but you have more pieces like that more simple pieces interacting in more interesting ways rather than having these like more complicated singular entities that are trying to do too much 
and randomizing properties that may not even be that interesting, right? Like, yes, is fighting a slime that moves randomly interesting? Like, I don't right. know that we ever sat down and said, yes, <laughs> this, this yeah. is true. Yeah, it hasn't been tested. I think that's the benefit, too, of making the prototype or the first versions of your game hand-curated, right? Is because then you can play it over and over again and be like, look, yeah, it's getting stale, and, that, and that's expected, right? But what's getting stale, though? Right? Like, is it still fun to fight a slime, even though they're predictable? Probably, you know, because it can be de determined by the environment around you. Like, if the slime harmonizes really well with the environment, then yeah, it probably would be fun to fight a slime in five different environments, you know? Right. But you don't know for sure. Like, you don't know what to optimize until you've played through your specific game and you know which parts it is that you're like, okay, look, this is just too stale and this needs to be particularly generated instead of what you were talking about right where it's just like everything i have a hammer it produces code Randomize you know, use all the it things. use it in all places yeah yeah it's definitely like a trap that we've fallen into just yeah abusing random i am of the opinion i don't like random behaviors and monsters i'm actually watching um agdq right now awesome games done quick it's on all this week i actually remember to mention it for the first time maybe ever Put a link to that in the show notes. Uh, you're familiar with this. Games Done Quick is a week-long charity run with speedruns. AGDQ. That's actually where the rotating 90 degrees came from. Is there was a, um, it's called Super Metroid Rotated Run earlier, where it was basically just Super Metroid, but rotated 90 degrees. Changes the whole game. And because wall jumping is so fantastic in Super Metroid, you can play through the whole game still. But it was kind of fascinating because like stuff that would normally be really easy was really hard, and also stuff that was really hard um, normally is now really easy, right? Yeah, I think that you know, remember a few minutes ago when I was talking about the sort of curated layouts, but kind of thrown together randomly. Yeah, um, you could also apply that. You know, pick this layout and rotate it either, you know, ninety or one hundred eighty or whatever degrees. Right. Yeah, and it's surprising um, by for one how simple that is mathematically. Right? Like, it doesn't have all this heuristic crap and, like, oh no, you know, oh, there's like, there's this button we have, like this bug in AWL1, right? The button that's surrounded by spikes, like that kind of a problem. When you just rotate your map, those things don't exist, but you, you do get all this fresh new content for, like, such a simple little tweak, you know? Yeah. It's probably less effective in an overhead game, but for I sure. I think that yeah. it would it'd still give you, you know, a little bit of differentiation. Yeah. Which might be useful. I don't know. I think back to, uh, I mentioned this in a recent podcast episode, but like what I wanted out of Left 4 Dead, um, which those aren't familiar, it's a first person shooter where you're walking around like cities and, and different environments uh, killing zombies. And like, I didn't even, like I wanted random generation, procedural generation, but I didn't want it in a way where it was like, oh, create a brand new house for me every game. I really wanted it separated into like city blocks, you know, like I knew I'd come into this area and there's like, there's this house. And I know what's in the house. It's got these rooms. It's connected by this like walkway to the other house and that kind of stuff. But like, that's all fine. I would just want that. Like, take all that. It's been handmade lovingly by hand, right? Just rotate that ninety degrees and change. Like, let's say that was the fourth like section in this map. Make it the ninth. You know, like change where it is in the chain and and rotate stuff around. That's all. Like the same pieces. Like, I, I, that's how I picture sometimes like a board game, right? Like, or like something like Descent, where it's like, look, I'm not really like creating new content from scratch, really. I'm just taking what's there and like shuffling it around just enough to make it more interesting. Yeah. I but think that's also, an effective way. You get the benefit of familiarity, perhaps, right? Like, yeah. And I don't know. I hesitate to say you get the bo best of both worlds because that's kind of a loaded phrase, but 
you know. Uh, I kind of think you do in that context, at least just for this one example of just, just right. what I want out of Left 4 Dead. I really do think that, I mean, I haven't played it, right? So Tiger head on, but like when I picture, oh, there's this map where it does that, you know, it's like familiar to you. It's the mall level. It's on fire in Left 4 Dead 2 or whatever. It's that except for instead of it being, here's the same crap in the same order, right? It's like, oh man, yeah, the, the burning, you know, elevator scene, that's, that's the, the very end instead of near the beginning or whatever. Right. That might be enough for me. Like in my, in my head, that plays great. <laughs> Maybe not. I don't know. It's hard to say. I mean, I haven't played a whole lot of Left 4 Dead, but it sounds legit to me. So yeah. let's let's make that game. <laughs> <laughs> All right. First-person shooter coming from LDG 2017. Oh, but it's going to be Raycasted, of course. Oh, oh man. I why so, would we I, use 3D? That would just I so badly want Why do I... St- why, Jeff? Why, do, why am I cursed? I want to work on a Raycaster. Stupid. No, There's no need for that in 2017. <laughs> Speaking of first-person games that I like, um, I want to give a shout-out again to an older game that I played again. It's called Delver. It's kind of like a, uh, I don't know, I think it's like a long-term early access title. It might be out of early access now. I don't know. But it's sort of a first-person dungeon crawler, like dungeon crawler roguelike. And uh, I was playing it again just for whatever reason. I was going through my Steam library looking for something to play. And uh, I'm always like really impressed with the simplicity and sort of the fun that that game has. Yeah. And the procedural generation is actually pretty good. You uh you were talking about that before. You were highly recommending it. It's like a, it looks a little bit like Minecraft, right? But your characters are uh billboards. Yeah. I like that look. There's something about like I know it's it looks cheap to some people and it's it is kind of an amateurish approach like it reminds me of Duke Nukem 3D or something, but it feels like homey to me, like comforting. Yeah, well, it was think, just this little slice in time when that was technology that was like AAA and and standard, you know. And these days I see it now, and it's like it's almost never necessary. But I see it, and I'm like, ah, it reminds me of that slice in time. I think that uh, it works really well because you can tell that the game is very lovingly crafted, you know. Yeah, like it's the game feels good, and like the sprites look good, and and they are billboards, but it doesn't come across in a cheaper you know bad way you know it's right. just it's executed well you know you nice. could take that same concept and put it in a different game with different textures and whatever else and it would be terrible right yes <laughs> but like yeah. the lighting is good and you know the sprites are really good and that kind of stuff so nice oh man my cue i really gotta get on my cue this might be a good time for me to do it this because this week i'm just feeling not great so it's a good 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 week to like sit on the couch yes yes it is may play some games or something a uh, couple of quick shout outs. We got new game dev treasures. Check out the site I built just for people like you and me who uh, are obsessed with game development. GameDevTreasure.com. We got Enemy Design and Link to the Past. We got Finishing a Game by Derek Yu. And we got Visualizing the Creative Process by Daniel Cook. I feel like maybe I've mentioned some of those already. Uh, definitely on the podcast, I've talked about some of those before. But yeah, they're all linked now in Game Dev Treasure. Uh, also, Lost Cast listener Jeremy, check out his uh translator on google play i'll put a link to that in the show notes always happy to talk about what our lost uh what our listeners are working on because like our listeners are very engineer heavy programmer heavy art heavy uh and they're making cool stuff all the time very cool
All right. I think that's all we got for this week. Thanks for listening. Do check us out on Patreon. I'd love to hit that 250 goal and start talking to you even more once per month. Just a mono a mono. <gasps> so intimate. I know, right? What else we got? Uh, oh, pretty soon here, I think I might want to talk about this poncho post-mortem I read recently. Very fascinating. It's one of these stories that's more like... Um, it's been all over the internet the last several days, so... Did you see it going around? Oh, yeah. Did you read it yet? Oh, yeah. Oh, cool. Okay, yeah. Well, maybe we'll talk about that pretty soon on the podcast. Because uh, it's, it's it shows the good and the bad. I'll it's say the, that, right? It's big news in the indie world. <laughs> yeah, that's making the rounds, so we'll probably talk about that pretty soon. So I got that to look forward to in the future. Uh, yeah, that's it. Ship it.